Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. On the line with us right now is Nick Hunter, Director of Market Strategy and Understanding at Ipso, Ipsos, and joins us uh, right now. Nick, good morning. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Thanks, Glenn. Good morning. Nick, what can you tell us about this survey that you conducted, uh, that Ipsos conducted, on the feelings of Singaporeans about what's coming next for them after COVID-19? Well, I think the, the survey findings show um, probably an expected, fairly pragmatic understanding of um, the current COVID situation, as well as a, a realistic sense of what's in store moving forward. So there is an understanding that things are um, relatively serious, that things will um, take some time to pick up, potentially that things may even get worse short term before they start to, before they start to pick up. Um, and the sense of caution, I guess, in terms of how quickly people are looking for some of those previous normal routines to return into their, you know, into their regular behaviors. Yeah, let's go through some of the highlights. Some I was very reassured by, some I'm a little more apprehensive. The first mm. one that leaps out, which I found pleasing, if that's the right word, 71% of Singaporeans in your Ipsos survey are worried yep. about contracting the virus. Half do not intend to travel this year, and I would be one of them, even if it is allowed, and the majority intend to continue online shopping. Now, I read those statistics from your survey and was immediately reassured that, I mean, for Singaporeans, we've been dealing with this on and off really since January, February, so it's half the year now, and yet still there's a sense of apprehension and a sense of caution, which I think is a good thing. Would that that be fair based upon your research? I think so, yeah. Um, like you said, it's been something that we've, we've really had to adapt to um, as it's built up in terms of our consciousness from, you know, beginning of the year onwards. So many people now, in fact, most people now have really you know, settled into a new routine. They've had to adapt. They've had to develop new ways of coping physically and emotionally. And I think that, yeah, it shows that there is, you know, there is a general sense that this thing can be under control. Um, and yet there is still caution and concern actually still about contracting, you know, about contracting the virus. Mm, but on the flip side to it, just looking at one or two of the ones that surprised me, 30% will not be joining a cultural event or gathering in 2020. Or just to add to that, if phase two goes towards the end of the year, then they can't anyway, because it's, yeah. un- it's unlikely that they uh, large-scale events of mass participation will not be allowed. But what I found interesting yeah. about that, Nick, was... 30% will not be joining a cultural event, which therefore means that two-thirds would be quite happy to attend a cultural event, which I found slightly, not alarming, but slightly worrying. What, what was your take on that? Oh, that's a good question, actually. So I think there were, there were various activities which suggested that you know, people are taking a little bit of a, that, you know, things that are necessary. Of course, they, they are willing to and they accept that they will have to um, incorporate those into the new routine, but things which are not of a necessity, if you like, people are a little bit more cautious to that. I think in, in terms of some of the, of the more granular findings, we found that, you know, June and July, are, you know, people are not planning uh, to do much in terms of the immediate couple of months post the survey results in, in May. So they're really adapting a very much, uh, if it's not absolutely necessary, <clears throat> June and July, definitely I'm not interested in doing things of that type. So the cultural events and things like, you know, visiting a gym, taking up sports membership, 
that was really something that was picking up from August onwards uh-huh. um, from the you know from the point of view of the or from the point of timing of the of the research survey itself. I think, as you said, this is fluid. People are probably changing or adapting their perceptions on a you know almost on a daily basis. I guess as the you know the government WhatsApp message comes in, then this is something that can change pretty quickly. So I think it's um, towards the end of the year, people were kind of saying that these things may be things that they would join in. But I think mm. that's again dependent on how things evolve. On a, on a fairly regular basis. Right. We're on with Nick Hunter, Director of Market Strategy and Understanding for Ipsos, uh, talking about that new survey that uh, Ipsos has just released. And, of course, some of your clients are marketing people and, and people that want to look at the trends from a business perspective. And many had, had hoped that once the circuit breaker restrictions had eased in phase one, that life would more or less kind of start to get back to normal People would start to do their shopping and their dining and their different things. Uh, this survey really does have an impact on on the thought process of consumers. And, and how do you think that will be interpreted by the marketeers that that look at the survey that are your clients? Yeah, I think I think there's a very real uh, impact, likely on on businesses, on on brands, uh, on consumers. I think the results kind of indicate that the hope that we all had as individuals and also as people involved in business, that things would return quite quickly once restrictions started to ease actually may, may not be the case and that there are underlying emotions and concerns that actually go beyond the physical restrictions that are imposed and actually talk to mindset and, and how people you know, are feeling towards the situation. So I think that there will need to be continued flexibility, innovation in terms of how brands and businesses foresee mm. the next six months I think there are opportunities, of course, because in all situations where there is change behavior, there is opportunity for businesses and brands to become even more relevant and even more appropriate in terms of how they make their brand and businesses available for consumers. And I think that that is necessary because, as we see, the the return to the previous normalities is just not going to be there in the immediate short term. Yeah, that's a key point, Nick, and one that you made very clearly in one of your highlights that leaps out to me, which is very relevant to friends of ours listening in the F&B industry, which is yeah. one in four Singaporeans say they would be comfortable visiting restaurants in June and July, which is obviously now, and then we move into phase two next month, which, of course, the flip side, three in four wouldn't. So, again, it comes back to your point about the need to be fluid and the need to adapt to the very very real possibility that 75% of people will not be visiting a restaurant of any kind for the foreseeable future, which of course has ramifications again, doesn't it? It does indeed, yeah. Um, and I think we've, we, we have seen the F&B industry adapt, in my opinion, you know, quite, quite impressively. Mm. You know, it, t- it took a week, 10 days, maybe even less than that before a lot of F&B outlets looked at, number one, different menus, um, understanding that, you know, financially, emotionally, and also just in terms of the logistics, people were going to need to uh, choose to consume slightly different items. So new menus started to come out, different price points, which I think showed, you know, showed a, a fairly impressive speed of reaction to that. And also in terms of delivery options, everyone will have had to find these things out for themselves, I guess, as, as individuals. So the role of the food delivery platforms, then the, I guess, the ability for individual F&B groups or individual restaurants to 
come up with their own ways of getting food to consumers, either by their own delivery, by pickup, by kind of almost curbside pickup options that have suddenly become available. Um, so I think that the, the need for that continued innovation based on the results is going to be, you know, is going to continue because the, yeah, the likelihood and the volume of consumers who are, who are happy to sit inside restaurants, if and when that's allowed, you know, may not sustain the industry on its own. We're on with Nick Hunter, the Director of Market Strategy and Understanding at Ipsos. And Nick, let's talk a little bit more about the adoption of e-commerce options. Mm. You know, the purchase of items, you were just talking, of course, about food. But obviously, people are doing a lot more than that, everything from groceries to, you know, any kind of uh, brick-and-mortar type uh, things that they used to used to get into traditional channels. They're now yeah. uh, uh, going through this omni-channel purchase option decision mm. that they're making. What does the survey tell you about that? I think it's it's quite surprising, uh, not not surprising actually, but it's, I think it's it's quite insightful that um, some of the items which were the last bastion of bricks and mortar, um, and namely their you know groceries and fresh produce. You know, I'm sure that you know a couple of years ago when people tried to order fresh produce groceries online, there were some fairly mixed experiences with things <laughs> being not available, yeah. uh, things being replaced with things that may or may not be similar in any way to what you ordered. Um, levels of freshness. You know, I think Singaporeans take great pride and they, you know, they really are passionate about food. So being able to choose, you know, the, the right level of ripeness, the right size, etc., of some of the fresh produce is always something that I guess let, let people still preferring the more traditional shopping channels with, without those options or with those options being more difficult to action against. People have had to adopt online even for those categories where previously they hadn't. So that, that's really where, I guess, for me, that the most interesting findings lie. And it will also be curious to see moving forward how much of that traction to the once traditional um, categories remains for online shopping. Um, some of the, you know, some of the traditional online popular categories, things that you can stock up, dry goods, etc. It's not surprising to see that that's continued and that's intensified during the, the circuit breaker period. It's really in the areas which were once traditional um, brick and mortar or traditional channels. Uh, it's the shift there, and I guess the interest to see how much of that retains. That's uh, you know that, that's really the the most interesting thing for me. Yeah, and looking at the the bricks and mortar stores uh, more generally, uh, again another, mm-hmm. another highlight: thirty three percent intend to visit Orchard Road malls within the first two months after the circuit breaker, yeah. which therefore means. Conversely, 60-odd percent will not visit Orchard Road. So what kind of message does that send to your bricks-and-mortar clients about their needs perhaps to somehow reinvent their sales potential, their e-commerce, to try to combat that? Yes, that is an interesting finding. Um, For me, it's part of of a bigger kind of conversation that's arisen through the circuit breaker period, which is around – local businesses, neighborhood businesses versus global, multinational, international brands, etc. Yeah. Um, because we also see that 72% of Singaporeans would visit a neighborhood mall within yes. the first two months of circuit breaker. Mm-hmm. For me, this is, this is probably a little bit more complex. It's probably a little bit around a preference to support more local businesses um, because I think during circuit breaker, people have had that interaction with the local coffee shop, the local restaurants, etc. They've been the ones that have been available, that have been flexible, etc. 
and again maybe some concern around visiting neighborhoods that you feel more comfortable rather than going into areas which are more crowded where people are coming from more neighborhoods etc net net regardless of the motivations for that yes it, it does suggest that those malls and businesses that operate in orchard road type areas will need to think and continue to think about how they're going to make their products, services, brands, etc., more accessible as Singaporeans generally are going to limit themselves a little bit closer to home um, in, you know, in, in the first couple of months after circuit breaker restrictions are lifted. So yeah, certainly I, some, some implications there. Yeah. I think you make a couple of key interesting points there. If anything, the, the circuit breaker period has almost restored a little bit of that kampong spirit where we stay local, we shop local, and that's interestingly to me perhaps more riskier for the big multinational international brands that you talk about that are predominantly around Orchard Road and and Suntech City because those brands could be bought online can't they predominantly so therefore you don't necessarily need to leave Angmokil or Topai or Sembawang or you know Pongal Senkang to go to Orchard Road or or Suntech City, you can buy that stuff online. So while the local businesses may actually benefit from this situation, it's actually the more established brands that may need to rethink their strategy. Would that be fair? I think so, yeah. You know, I I guess our survey findings don't, you know, they don't say that for certain, but I think looking at the the different elements that we are seeing and, and also just, feeling as you know as individuals and the way that we feel and see that our interactions relationships priorities with different businesses has evolved over the period i think that's a very fair kind of hypothesis to put forward um there may be a sense at some point that you know people are keen to liberate themselves uh, to feel that they are a little bit freer to feel that the situation is passing mm-hmm. and that might spur a little bit of a um of a reaction of a, of a response towards doing things which are really legacy from pre-COVID, but I think in in the main, yes, it's going to be those kind of local businesses, those local neighborhoods that see the increased activity and traction and support, and the the ones outside of that may be a little bit more sporadic in terms of the the frequency with which people feel that they need and maybe even financially can support moving forward. Nick, thank you so much for your time and uh, your insights today on this new survey. Really appreciate it. That's a pleasure. Thank you, gents. Talking with Nick Hunter, the Director of Market Strategy and Understanding at Ipsos, about a new survey on Singaporeans' post-COVID attitudes. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.